How is everybody doing tonight? Yeah? Good. Open up to Judges chapter 5. Continuing on through the book of Judges. The second chapter given to the, the woman Deborah. But we'll go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, I, uh, I do just lift up Dominic and Tony's mom, Tina. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd be with them both and you'd bring healing to them. And Lord, that uh, you would do a glorious, just miraculous work in their bodies and through their lives and that you would get the you would get the praise for it, that people would look on and recognize that you've done something really special. Um, so Lord, we do lift them up to you, Lord, and we give you this time, and we ask God that it would be uh, beneficial, that it would be uh, a blessing to each and every person that's here tonight. Lord, that you'd speak to us all individually and uniquely and move in our midst. I give you the glory in your name. Amen. Amen. So Judges chapter 5. Last week we began the story of Deborah and we got to read it uh, as, as narrative prose. This week we get to read it again in a song. So, uh, so it should be fun. So you get uh, the same story that you're familiar with, only channeled through a different medium. And let's review it in case you weren't here last week. Uh, Jabin, king of Canaan, was oppressing the people of Israel, uh, his military leader Sisera and his 900 chariots of iron stood against them, was opposed to them. And Israel cried out, you know, to, for, for God to raise up somebody to, to lead them, to defend them. And, and, you know, and, and God spoke to Barak and Barak was reluctant to go. So God told Deborah to go tell Barak to go and he was still reluctant to go. So uh, Deborah held his hand and led him into battle. And then he went, and God got the victory. And it's a glorious story. Uh, but, but ultimately, uh, as if you remember from last week, it was this, this wonderful lady, uh, Jael, that, that gets the greatest trophy from the victory as she, uh, as she kills Sisera, Sisera there in her tent and drives a nail through his head. And, and it's just... Beautiful and picturesque uh, to, to consider in the scripture, but but a glorious story. And now another chapter, uh, retelling it. We'll begin in verse one. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinom, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. We're going to begin with a little uh, inductive Bible study, right? And it's fun and it's helpful. Inductive Bible study, all you do is you just ask the text questions, right? If you, if you want to know how to study the scripture, it's a great, very basic method. And, uh, and, and, and I'll just tell you, you don't have to be any smarter than this to teach a Bible study. Um, so, so you're going to see the, the extent of my wisdom here today. Um, so you look at the text and you go, okay, well, well, who's it about? And it says the princes in Israel. Well, who are the princes? Well, Israel isn't a monarchy at this time. Uh, so these would just be the leaders in Israel. So all she's saying here is, when the leaders lead. That's profound, isn't it? <laughs> a wonderful little insight. You could write it down. It's a nugget of truth. When the leaders lead. 
Uh, and now when the people willingly offer themselves, well, who are the people? Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're not, they're not the leaders. They're the people. They're everybody else. So if they're not the leaders, then I guess you can call them the followers. Right? Let's just say that. So what she's saying here. When the leaders lead, and when the followers follow, and then what does she end it with? Praise the Lord. I mean, isn't that great? You know, when everyone does their part, when we all work together, uh, when we willingly offer ourselves, praise the Lord. And isn't that glorious? I think that we spend far too much time uh, critiquing other people's calling. You know, and we, and we look at people, and we're not a pastor, but we know everything a pastor should be doing, just like we know everything a boss at work should be doing. You know, and, and if I were, if I were the pastor, or if I were the boss at work, I'd be doing things differently. And you know, and we're not a worship leader. But if I were a worship leader, I tell you, I, things would be different around here. People would be worshiping if I was a worship leader. It'd be a glorious thing in this place. And, and you know, and I've been to pastors meetings. And all the pastors, they sit around and, and the conversation is just, oh, it's that congregation of mine. It's every, it's so sheep. The lazy, lazy, good for nothing sheep. And they all just, they're just, they're just out there and, and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's why we're not growing. And then that's, and everyone is, 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 it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a cancer. And that's what it is. And we're eating away at our, at our own body. And it's not healthy. And Deborah draws us in with this very simple perspective from the beginning. And, and, and to be honest with you, she could have blamed Barack for not leading. Couldn't she have? But she doesn't. She could have blamed some of the tribes for not following. But she really won't. Don't worry about it. I will. We'll talk about that. Because <laughs> I'm not Deborah. Um, but this great and godly lady simply begins by saying, you know, when, when we all come together to complement each other in our calling, when we all just align each other to make up the lack in each other, when we just stand together, and praise the Lord for that. And it's like a, it's like an orchestra when everyone's playing their part under, under the direction of a competent conductor. I mean, what would an orchestra sound like if, if you, if you go to a performance and half the orchestra is taking a nap and not playing their instruments? You know, and the other half has decided that they want to play something different. You know, I'm, I'm sick of Beethoven. Let's play Metallica tonight. You know, and it's like, I don't know how you play that on, on a flute, but you know, you can maybe make that happen. And, and what, what would it sound like if the lady that plays the harp in the back is, well, I'm sick of playing the harp in the back. I want to play the saxophone because it's out in front. And I've never touched a saxophone, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a go tonight. You know, it, it's, it's, it's chaos. It's as chaotic as some churches are today. Uh, we're all called and created differently. We're unique in our capacity, but when we come together, we're at our best to give God glory. And that's the wonderful uh, thing that Deborah brings out here in the beginning where she just says, hey, you know what? When the leaders lead, when they're doing their part, when the followers follow, when, when we're doing our part, what a glorious thing it is. Praise God for that. It's beautiful. And we all work together. Now in verse 3, hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Oh, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Eden, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked 
before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Deborah's going to begin this song and and really this this kind of sermon by drawing the nation's focus in and pointing them back to the past, all that God did in the desert leading up to Mount Sinai where he just, he shook the earth, where he wrote his law upon the rock. And and, and you remember Sam saying just just a few weeks ago, and and it's not going to be a direct quote uh, because I I, I seem to have misplaced those notes, but, but I remember taking them. They were special to me, uh, where, where he said it's healthy to remember the past, but it's a terrible thing to get stuck in the past because God exists in the present. He's alive today. He's doing a new work. And I think a lot of us have those, those Mount Sinai things in our past. You know, and it was, it was this time where God met you and it was powerful and it was personal and it was significant. And maybe for you, it was, it was a a camp or a retreat or a conference. You you know, maybe it was a a Sunday. Maybe it was a Thursday when Sam was speaking. Those were wonderful days. Don't you remember those? Maybe, Maybe it was, maybe it was when you were 21. Maybe it was when you were 16. It's, it's, but the fact remains that that God hasn't changed. He's still the same God from that conference and from that camp. He's still the same God uh, that, that, that met you when you were 21, that met me when I was 16. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. So if our experience with him has changed, then it, it's not God. He's still doing what he's always been doing he's still alive and active the way that that he has been in times before deborah draws their focus in in this song and she says hey those were wonderful days never forget those days keep those days in your heart but recognize that those days are in the past those days are over now And these are the days that we live in now. And in verse 6, she says, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. When they chose new gods, war came to the city gates, and not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with uh, Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. These are the days that Deborah was born into. These are the days that Deborah was raising her children in. And they're inglorious days. You know, the people had no power. They were hiding out. They were trying to blend in. They were... It should come as no surprise, worshiping and serving other gods. Uh, and in those days, God was distant to them. He was just a memory to them. But this, this life, this was their reality. This was every day for them. Until Deborah arose, and she says, arose a mother in Israel. And I love Deborah because she's a very dynamic character. If, if you're a note taker. Uh, we have six things that we can write down about Deborah. Uh, she she was a prophet and she was a judge. She was a prophet and she was a judge. And it's interesting 
because she's the first one in scripture to be both. And she's the only one other than Samuel to ever be both. And Samuel stopped to be the author of this book. It's noteworthy that she's both a prophet and a judge. She's a very gifted gal. And she was a warrior and a poet. She stood up against Sisera, along with Barak, led an army against him. She's a warrior. But then she lived to write very eloquently, quite poetically about it. But not just a prophet and a judge and a warrior and a poet. She's also a songwriter and a leader. The way verse 3 is worded in uh, in the King James and New King James versions uh, where she says, I, even I, will sing, leads a lot of commentators to believe that she had a terrible singing voice. You know, where she's like, hey, you know, and even me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing. You know, and, it, it, and, it, but after all, it was her song, she wrote it. So, you know, she has the right to sing it, as terrible as it might sound. But she's, she's a songwriter, and she's a leader. She led the nation into battle against the enemy. And now as a songwriter, she's going to lead the nation in giving God the glory for the victory. So, I mean, here you have this woman. She's a prophet and a judge. She's a warrior and a poet. She's a songwriter and a leader. She's a Renaissance woman with a myriad of accomplishments, a resume a mile long. I only have like three job listings on my resume. I mean, this, this woman puts me to shame, but Despite all that, she defines herself by one word, and it's easy to miss in verse 7. I'll take another look at it. It says, Deborah arose, arose a prophet in Israel. Is that what it says? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible reader. By the way, I'm a reading teacher. Deborah arose, <laughs> arose a warrior in Israel. Is that what it says? No. No, and you're like, no, don't make me play this game. <laughs> Deborah arose, arose what? A mother in Israel. A mother? A mother? Deborah, you're so, <laughs> yes. Stop it. No, arose a mother in Israel. It's like, Deborah, don't sell yourself short like that. You're so much more than that. You're more than just a mother. You're a strong woman. You're a career woman. You don't need to be defined by your husband and children. You know, it's like, okay, settle down. You all got very angry there. I felt it so vicariously I said it. But you're right. Deborah was more, and I say you're right because you're the ones that said it. Deborah, Deborah was more than a mother. She was a prophet, a judge, a warrior, a poet, a songwriter, and a leader, but she defined herself as a mother. And I think that you can tell a lot about a person by the way that they they define themselves, by the titles that they ascribe to themselves. I remember once I was, uh, I was speaking at a church, and during the sermon, I, I referred to the pastor by his first name. And he came up to me after the message, and he was like, hey, you know what, man, that was, uh, that, that was a pretty good message, but... Uh, you're never to refer to me by my name when you're speaking from the pulpit. You're to call me pastor. And I found it really humorous and ironic because the message was actually on how God is not a respecter of people and how we're all on this even ground. And it's like, wow, you must have checked out during that message. <laughs> but, but just this, this attitude and this air, and he comes up to me and he's like, no, 
You can, you can call all these peasants by their names, but not me. You call me pastor. You know, and, and, and I love that. I love that about, uh, not, not about him, but I, I love that. I love that about Sam. He's, I mean, he's the only, the only pastor that I've ever been able to call by his first name uh, with such ease. And, and, and he does, actually doesn't care to be called pastor. That's why I call him boss. I encourage you to do the same thing. You know? <laughs> if you're not going to accept that title, I'll give you a worse one. You sound like a tyrant now. But, uh, you know, it's, it, that's, uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it, pastoring is, is what God has called him to do, so he does it. You know, just like being a prophet is what God had called Deborah to do, so she did it. Being a warrior is what God called her to do, so she did it. Being a leader and a songwriter, these were all things that God laid on her heart, so she just did it. She didn't define herself by it. She said, if you have to pick one word to characterize me, it's going to be it's going to be a mother in Israel. And I got to believe that that's because that's what was really important to her. You know, all these other gifts that she had, they were glorious gifts. And she used them for, 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 the, for the Lord. And she laid them at the feet of the Lord. I'll be a prophet in Israel. I'll, I'll be a warrior on behalf of Israel. I'll be a leader and a songwriter. I'll be a poet. But the most precious gift that God has entrusted to me she would say. The one thing that I glory in giving back to him is being a mother. You know, I think that, I think that we diminish motherhood in a lot of ways in our society. You, you know, I remember, uh, uh, Corinne was talking to a friend one time and this lady asked her what she wanted to do with her life, what she wanted to do in the future. And she said, you know what? I would just love nothing more than to be a stay-at-home mother. And this woman looked at her like she was a mutant. I mean, just like she had a third arm and a tail. You know, it's like, that's it? That's all? Don't you have any ambition in life? Don't you want to do anything with your life? Don't you want to accomplish anything in your life? I would a loser. I mean, just that's the all? That's what you want to do? But you know what? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a woman that has accomplished more in their lives than Deborah, when you really think about it. This is a woman that accomplished a lot in the one life that she had, and yet above everything else, she defined herself as a mother. And there's something precious and profound in that, that she didn't glory in all those accomplishments in her career, it was her drive to create a better world for her children, to draw her children close to the Lord as she drew the nation back to the Lord. She wasn't so caught up that she had forgotten them. And she was a Renaissance woman, but she was a mother first and foremost. And in verse 10, she writes, you who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of the warriors in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. 
Break out in song, arise, Barak, take captives, or take captive your captives, O son of Abinom. And, 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 and she calls upon the people to not let this moment pass them by. We do that with so many significant moments in our lives that it happens and, 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 and we, we fail, uh, to do what, what I think God so often impresses upon our hearts to do, which is to share it, to spread it. To not just let that thing happen to us and let it dissipate from our mind. And she says, you know, bring it to the forefront. Go out into the villages. Tell people to wake up. Give God the glory for what he's done. This is a significant moment. So spread the good news of it. And that's exactly what she begins to do in verse 13. She says, uh, then the men who were uh, left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in uh, Amalek, Benjamin, was with the people who followed you from uh, Makur. Captains came down from Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff, the princes, or yeah, the princes of Issachar. I always want to say princesses. That's not right. That's another S. Were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan and Dan. Why did he linger by the ships? Issachar remained on the coast and stayed in the coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanach by the waters of Megiddo. But they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens, the stars fought. From the courses, uh, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul be strong. Then thundered the horses' hoofs, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse, Morose, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord to help the Lord against the mighty. And this portion is so interesting to me. I, th I think it's a, a, a very interesting type of, of Christian ministry because the battle wasn't won by a lone ranger. You know, the battle, as, as wonderful as Deborah was, she, she didn't run out against 900 chariots you know, with her frying pan and take them all on. I mean, let's be realistic. And it wasn't won by Barack either. There, there was, you know, the, the word, uh, went out, and in the orchestra of, of Israel, uh, the, the 12 tribes all played their part. And, and she honors many of them. And, and you can see that, that Ephraim, West Manasseh, Benjamin, Zebulun, Issachar, and Naphtali. She, she pays them all praise in this passage. It's like, you know, you did what was right. You did what you should do. The word came to you, God impressed upon you, and, and you went out. You did what, what uh, the Lord put upon your heart. But not every tribe did that. And you see that in this passage too. Re Re Reuben, East Manasseh, specifically Gilead, Dan, and Asher, they didn't join in the battle. And you got to ask yourselves, why? You know, what were they doing? And in verse 16, we see the first one, Reuben. And just very quickly, we're going to talk about each one. Reuben. And what, what was Reuben doing in verse 16? They were sitting around, and they were searching their heart. And, and they didn't go 
but they thought about it. You know, and, and this is the reality of it with ministry and, and even with, with, with some people's salvation story. You know, well, well, I, I sat around and we talked about it and, and I weighed it and I really thought about it. I never did anything about it, but I was definitely, there was definitely things happening in my head. You can't see it, but that's where things happen. It's in my head. That's the only, that's the only part I played. I thought about it. And for all their searching of heart, they never applied their hands. She says, all you did was sit around and talk. They never got up and went to action. What about Gilead? In verse 17, it says, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. I was talking to Samuel uh, about this before we started. And, and this is a perfect picture of it. That so many people, when, when God puts something on their heart, when they hear the word of it, they sit around and, and well, well I'm, I'm doing more in the first group. I'm, 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 I'm not just sitting around. But let's be honest. This isn't really my battle. This isn't my territory. That's their thing over there. I'm just going to kind of stay over here. And that's all they did. It never went any further than that. It never progressed beyond that. This, you know, is, it's, I'm just not the right person. There's a lot of people over there. They're close to it. They're probably the right people to do it. But I'm just not going to get involved in it. You know, it's not really my thing. Well, I do that with a lot of things. And a lot of people. And I'm like, yeah, there's probably somebody better to talk to them. There's probably somebody more qualified to get involved in that. It's just like Gilead. I'm just staying on my comfortable and cushy side of the Jordan. Because I have a million excuses over there. Uh, Dan. What about Dan? Dan, why did he linger by the ships? In verse 17. Hey, Dan's out on a cruise while everybody else is in combat. What are you doing out there? I mean, they're fighting and, and, and there's a war happening and Dan's just, hey, this is really nice over here. We have mimosas. You know, it's, they're, they're on a cruise. While there's war going on, all around them. They could say that they're a little bit better than the last group, can't they? I'm really close to the combat. Maybe merely by my proximity, good things will happen. They'll look over and be like, hey, there's some guys over there on a ship. Maybe we don't want to go to war with Israel. Oh, but they never got involved. I'll come. I'll take a seat. I'll be part of your group. But I'm not really going to do anything. And that was Dan. Asher remained on the coast, and they stayed in coves. It's the last group, Asher. We're on the shore, catching some rays. And this is them. And they're hiding out in coves. Are they a little bit better than the last group? They've landed on the floor. They're not just on a cruise. They're saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm standing right next to it. I can, I can touch it. I can, I can smell the sweat of your combat. Lord knows I'm not going to do that. So they just kind of hung out in close proximity to it. And I love it because it's the reality of Christianity when it comes to sacrifice and service. Those are those people 
there are just those people that are always going to talk about it. They're always going to be thinking about it. You know, and this is, again, what I was talking to Samuel about. And this is exactly what happened when Wes Bentley, who I talked about last Thursday, came and spoke at Bible College. He came and spoke about Sudan and the great need that there is out there. And there were a horde of people that came up to him after. And they were like, whoa, I'm the, you gave me a lot to think about. And that's all it was. It was a lot to think about. And there are those that will just think about it their entire lives. They'll talk about it. They'll meet around campfires to discuss it. Never do anything about it. Then there's those people that are going to make a million excuses to why they can't do it. Hey, I'm that guy. I'm sorry if this is making you uncomfortable. So I'll throw myself in. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm always making a million excuses of why I can't. You know, I'm there. I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be around. But oh my gosh, I would love to be on my side of the Jordan. Because it's so cushy and comfortable over there. I'm so familiar with everything over there. Just, ah, just, uh, maybe, you know, there's probably people that are better suited to do this than me. Then there's those other people. There's these people that just kind of want to cruise through life. They want their life to be a day at the beach. They have full knowledge of everything that's going on. They're very close to what's going on. They don't want to be a part of it. I find it so interesting in this text, through this story, that God's work first still got done. God's work still got done, right? But, this is the second part of it, according to verse 23, these people cursed themselves because they weren't part of it. They missed out on the blessing of it. And all of a sudden it just got really uncomfortable and serious. You're like, are you saying I'm going to be cursed if I don't, if I don't do it? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm kind of saying that. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, is that we, we miss out on a great blessing. We really do. If we fail to do something uh, of eternal value because we're too wrapped up in that which we value that's temporal. And this is the source of so many of our excuses that we have this awesome opportunity in this one life that's very short to serve a God that, listen to this, counts our puny efforts, right, as eternal contributions to his kingdom. You know, because you see in this text, the angel of the Lord, this person that's a type of Jesus Christ, uh, this Old Testament incarnation, he says, why didn't they help me? This is how personally he takes it. Saying, why didn't they help me? Say, stop thinking about yourself. Stop talking about it. Stop making excuses for why you can't do it. Just, life is more than these temporal excuses. It's more than this pleasure cruise mentality. It's more than comfort on your side of the Jordan. It's, it's more than a day at the beach. This is not why I created you. I created you according to Ephesians 2.10. 
which says that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's like, this is why I made you. And it's not just, you know, he's going to wind you up and say, there you go. Go do stuff for me. No, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we're God's fellow workers. This is why he takes it so personally. It's like, I created you so that I could spend time with you doing all this stuff. You know, it's like, all I ever wanted was for you to get your eyes off all the stuff around you and just do what I've made you to do with me, the one that made you in the first place. So stop making excuses. Stop putting obstacles in the path. Stop having this mentality of, of you know, well, I, I just want to have fun, and I just want to be comfortable and cozy and enjoy my time here. Because that's not why we were put here. You're going to get greater satisfaction, this lasting blessing, by doing what you were created to do, by partnering with the Lord. It's crazy to me that so many people... Uh, you know, they, they look at life and they're like, well, you know, if I just get set, you know, maybe I could retire early. I could go on some cruises. You know, I can remodel my house and all this stuff. And, and I, and I think, and, and what, a, what a curse, what a curse that would be to look back at my life that is so fleeting and short and to say, well, well I have a really nice sofa. <laughs> and, and I went on a fun cruise last month. What a curse. All those things are so temporal and fleeting. I could do something that God considers eternal and wonderful. He says, just come alongside of me. What a blessing it would be to partner with me. He created me individually and personally for that purpose. He says, you're never going to be more fulfilled than that. You're going to curse yourself if you miss out on that. Don't do that. That'd be... That'd be silly. That'd be sorry. You can live this life that is truly satisfying for his glory. A life like jail. We, we, we see her again in verse 24. Most blessed of women be jail, the wife of Eber, the Canaanite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water. She gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, uh, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank. There he fell. Dead. And I love it. that This, this great man, military leader, he's brought down by a woman and a hammer. And she's, uh, she's wonderfully subtle. She's a brilliant woman. You know, he comes in, he's thirsty, tired from war. She doesn't give him water, he asks for water. She gives him this warm, curdled milk, this cottage cheesy type of yogurty thing, and, and, you know, and she covers him up, makes him nice and cozy. There you go, you're, you're nice and comfortable, you're set. And then as soon as he falls asleep, boom, nailed through the head. It's the same old story, you've heard it a million times. You know, and, and, and she's called, <laughs> and she's, and she's called, in verse 24, isn't this, isn't this interesting? Most blessed of women. And it was because of her simple obedience to the cause of God. You know, and, and all she had to do was violently kill a man. 
So, verse 28. Through the the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, uh, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A girl or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colorful garments embroidered? Highly embroidered garments for my neck? All this is plunder. This part always makes me a bit sad. And I wish that the song didn't end on this. Because, uh, because even Sisera, right, as rotten and wicked of a guy as he was, had a mother, right? And Deborah wrote this. She's a mother herself. It's no doubt why she included it in her song. Uh, but she paints the picture of the mother as a partaker in her son's wickedness. You know, the mother's sitting around and going, well, he's late. I'm sure he's just out, you know, doing what, uh, well, what my, uh, what my little tyke was raised to do out there, looting villages, snatching up women to uh, be slaves for men out there doing his thing. And he was a success in her eyes for this. But he wasn't coming home. And all that he valued was chaff in the wind. It was nothing when it was weighed in the balance. And all that's left, even in the song, all that's left is a sad mother and a sinful man. In his kingdom, everything that he'd accumulated was in this life, and he brought nothing into the next. And it's a sobering thing to consider, but I think it's a significant point to mention for mothers. You know, because you can see the contrast in the two mothers, the one that's authoring the song and the other one that's caught in the middle of it. It's finding herself on the losing end of it. You know, to have more mothers in this world after Deborah's order, ones that don't wait anxiously to brag about their children's worldly successes, but they would encourage them and spur them on to live for the Lord, to take chances. You know, even as William Carey said, to uh, expect great things from God and to attempt great things from God. And I think that so often uh, Christian parents, uh, they're trying to set their kids up like Sisera, right? And, and, and they're not encouraging them to live like Deborah. I, th- I think that it's a real temptation, especially in the world that we live in. You know, and there's a time in, in every Christian child's life when they, they have this sense where it's like, you know, I, God's put something on my heart. I feel a calling. I feel a leading. I, I feel a drive. And, and you know, in, in parents, it's, it's easy to say, uh, like my parents uh, still say to me, well, you know, just uh, that, that's good. But, you know, just go to college, you know, and, and get a job and, you know, earn, earn some money. And, and, and just, you know, be stable. And, and then when they get past that phase in life, then we want to draw them back as Deborah's and say, oh, well, now, you, you know, but, but don't forget about the Lord. 
You know, the, the Lord is still a very important, you know, thing in, in your life, and he should be the, the core of your life. He should be the center of our life. And we've spent all of our lives conditioning our children like Sisera's mother, and, and then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're trying to switch on him and be like Deborah. And it's, and it's no wonder why the, so many children are making the decisions that they make today, where maybe all I want to do is get a job and earn money. It's all Sisera's mother told me to do. Deborah would come alongside and say, you know what, life is too short. 900 chariots is an awesome accomplishment that you can't take with you. You need to venture out and do something of eternal value. And she ends by saying, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. And it's the prayer of a mother in Israel. May peace last. May this victory remain. And may God's children know his great strength. And we could take it as a prayer for ourselves tonight. And that's what we'll do. You know, may the peace that you have with the Lord abide with you. May the victory that you're walking in with the Lord be steadfast in your life. And may you experience the strength of the Lord every day, because every day we so desperately need it. Amen. Let's go ahead and close in a word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us together to consider this, this wonderful mother. Lord, she had priorities that I'm ashamed to confess, are foreign to me to a large degree. She was a righteous and holy woman, woman that knew you and walked with you. And despite all of her accomplishments, was humble and meek. Lord, I pray that we would raise our children up after her order, that we would impress upon them to live a life for your glory, to believe in you, have faith in you, take chances for you, lead people to you and lead people alongside of you. We wouldn't be caught up in trying to accumulate temporary accomplishments, but our focus would be steadfast upon your kingdom. I pray, Lord, as we examine our hearts to see and maybe which tribe we're in. Lord, if we're constantly just thinking about things, if we're making excuses for things, or if we just want an easy life, you know, that doesn't have chances involved with it, that you would convict our heart that you would continue to speak to our heart so that we can have that awesome blessed life that you provide. You created us. You want to partner with us. And it's an awesome thing to think that we have that opportunity set before us every day. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk in it, having your peace 
your victory and your strength. I give you the glory for it, Lord. And thank you in your name. Amen. 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 Blessings.